Today we're in Acts, shocker, <laughs> longest series in history, come on somebody. <laughs> Acts chapter 17 is where we're at. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's sharper than a double-edged sword to pierce even the hardest heart in the room today. God, your word can pierce any heart. We thank you for that. And God, I pray that you're, you, would, you would open up heaven to us today, and I pray that, God, we would sit here with open hearts, ears, minds, and eyes, and help us to see all that you have for us, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, today I want to talk to you about two cities um, that are vastly different in chapter 17 of Acts. One city was ready for God to move, and God did some phenomenal things, and the other city was distracted by objects and by other lowercase g gods. And so it's a story of two cities that God moves in, and I want you to see what's going on here today. So the title of my message is, Ready or Not, Here I Come. Ready or Not, Here I Come. Uh, I want to start today by posing a question, and here's the question. Are you currently ready for God to move in your life? Don't, don't answer. Ponder. Are you ready for God to move in your life? What does that mean? Let me unpack that for just a second. Are you ready for God to anoint you to be his witness? Are you ready for God to empower you to be a bold witness in the cities around you? Are you ready? I'm not talking about your hair, your makeup, and your clothes. Yes, you, I'm glad that all of you got ready for church this morning, but I'm talking about spiritually ready, physically ready, mentally ready, emotionally ready, relationally ready. Are you ready for God to move in your life? So I want to talk to you about the people of Berea and the people of Athens. And I believe the Lord wants us to see that Berea represents some of us in this room and Athens represents others of us here today. I want to re-quote a quote from Mary Elizabeth Baxter that I gave you two weeks ago. She gave this very simple quote, but it's like an atomic bomb. She said this, she said, when the Holy Ghost is not resisted, he can move quickly. When the Holy Ghost is not resisted, he can move quickly. Quickly, you might be asking, well, how do I resist the Holy Spirit? Well, let me give you a couple of ways that you resist the Holy Spirit. This is not in your notes. This came about 11 o'clock last night. The, a couple of ways that you resist the Holy Spirit is, number one, you stay too busy for him to get your attention. Number two, your schedule is so tight that even he can't squeeze in. Number three, you don't sit still long enough to hear his voice and let him minister to you. Number four, if you do sit still long enough, you're too nervous to do what he tells you to do, so you're resisting him. Maybe you make excuses. Maybe you come up with reasons on why you can't do what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. And the next one, I lost what number I'm at, but the next one would be you're afraid. You know, there's people in this room that are just afraid to be with the Holy Spirit, afraid to sit with him, even though his name in the Bible is wonderful counselor, helper, teacher. Wow. 
So let me give you a little bit of backstory before we get into chapter 17. It's very interesting. When I started to read chapter 17, I saw something happen in 16 and 17 that's worth talking about. Paul, Paul and Silas have been on the run for a little while. Um, he has a group of Jews who have taken up the mission to cause trouble for them. And, and wherever he goes, these, these folks, these guys, mostly guys, I, I would assume, come to the city that he's currently in after he started to work in that city. And they come in and they stir up trouble. They tell lies about him and they get people to accuse him of doing certain things. And he's constantly on the edge of being arrested and beaten again and again and again. And in chapter 16, going into chapter 17, I see where, where Paul, he, he gets a moment in a city and then as soon as he's starting to get some things moving in that city, here comes the trouble. You'll need to read it for yourself, but here comes the trouble. And the trouble comes, and then the, the, the believers in the city encourage Paul to move on to the next city. And so then he moves on to the next city, and he starts to establish the church there. And things start to move and create, and, and the God's kingdom is being built. And then here come the troublemakers again. And then Paul moves to the next city, and then here comes the troublemakers. And then Paul moves to the next city, and here comes the troublemakers. What I saw and what I see today is that the gospel all of a sudden sped up. Do you know that God's the God of timing? Sometimes things need to happen quickly. Sometimes things happen slowly. That's why it's important for us to be led by the Holy Spirit so that we can gain the timing of God. Because sometimes he says, you need to get to stepping because trouble's on your back. And sometimes he tells you, you need to chill out and slow down a little bit because I'm trying to give you some rest. Because I know what's coming next and I know what you're going through, so you might ought to stop and take some rest right now. So Paul is on the move. I mean, trouble is on his tail. Let me tell you something. There's one thing to be in trouble for Jesus. It's a whole different thing if you're in trouble not for Jesus. That's your own trouble. <laughs> So I see the gospel speeding up, moving from city to city to city to city. And I go, wow, God, that's awesome. And so Berea is one of the cities that it moves to quickly. And it's interesting. So Berea, let's talk about Berea for a minute. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 10, it says this, that then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. They had to travel at night to get away from trouble. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews these were, listen to these words they used, these words were more, these, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they, and that they received the word with all readiness. Say that with me, say all readiness. And searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women and, and as well as men. So Paul and Silas are on the run. Berea is the next city. I want you to catch something. Berea gets five verses. You need to pay attention to that. Berea gets a whole five verses. I wish we had more verses in Berea. Because then we could probably understand better why the Bible describes them as being fair-minded and already are all ready to receive. But they get five verses. Not much to read there, except the fact that they were ready and God moved. 
The Bible says they were more fair-minded. That word fair-minded is just another word for the word noble. These were noble people. So what is nobleness? Good question. You ask good questions at our church. Nobleness, listen to this, and you got to catch this today. Nobleness is greatness. It's dignity. It's elevation of mind and our condition. It's particularly of the mind. Being above anything that can dishonor your reputation. That comes from the 1828 Webster's Dictionary. Greatness. Dignity. Elevation of mind or condition. Are you catching this? These were noble people. There's nothing wrong with being noble. Am I in the right church? There's nothing wrong with being great. There's nothing wrong with being smart. There's nothing wrong with being intelligent. There's nothing wrong with being gifted. There's nothing wrong with being dignified. There's nothing wrong with changing the language of your family tree. Your grandparents' grandparents could barely speak English, and you don't have to continue that tradition. (laughs) You can speak clearly (laughs) without subtitles. Come on, somebody. But nobleness is greatness. It's dignity. It's a higher level of thinking. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be dignified. If you remember two weeks ago, we talked about how when Jesus was washing the feet of his disciples, a couple of them were in the corner talking about who's the greatest out of all of them. Remember that story? And Jesus catches on to the conversation while he's washing feet, and Jesus comes over, and what does he do? Let me tell you what he doesn't do. He doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. He doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be the best. All he does is define what greatness is and define what it means to be the best. Ah, come on. You you can go to a church and they can tell you, oh, you got to be so humble you can't be great. You can go to a church that all it wants to do is beat you down. Jesus is not in a beat down business. Come on, somebody. He wants you to be great. He wants you to be noble. He wants you to be dignified. He wants you to change the family tree. He wants your family to get better and better and better by generation, by generation, by generation. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you follow his definition of it. Because you see, the definition that the world gives for greatness will lead you away from Jesus. But Jesus' definition of greatness will lead you to Jesus. And it will bring Jesus to the world around you. So you want to be great? Great! Be great! You caught that? (laughs) can't believe that came out right. Come on. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to be ignorant. Come on. You might want to write this down. Be careful not to let the old thinking of yesterday hold you captive today and tomorrow. You know, for some of you in this room, I just really feel God saying this this morning. For some of you in this room, you need to learn how to rethink. 
You need to rethink your situation. You need to rethink your past. You need to rethink where you're going. You need to get past the old stinking thinking and get into some fresh and new thinking. Come on, like what does God want to do in my family? What does God want to do in the legacy that I leave? What does God want to do in the generations coming after me? What does God want to do? It's time to get past your past. It's time to get out of some old stinking thinking. Well, my mama did it this way, and my papa said it like that, and they did it this way, so I guess we got to do it this way. No, you don't. You don't. In fact, they would probably tell you if they could come back from the grave, please don't do it that way. The Bible says they were open-minded. Then it tells us that they received the word with all readiness. <laughs> this goofy little thing popped in my head when I was studying for this message. They, they received the word with all readiness, which meant this to me. Just let you in the pastor's head for a minute. They were already ready. See how cute that is? They were already ready. <laughs> they were ready before Paul got there. Ready before Paul got there. They were ready before the gospel got there. That word readiness is defined as forwardness of the mind. It means to be ready, willing, and eager. Some of you, your stomach's growling, and you're eager for me to finish this message so you can go. <laughs> Some of you are more ready for lunch than you are for Jesus. <laughs> I said it to you while you were laughing, though. <laughs> Slip that one in. Forwardness of the mind. We're go- Listen to me. I don't know who this is for, but you're going to have to get past the past. It's messing up your today and your tomorrow. I know it hurt. I know you're disappointed. I know your heart is broken. I know there's a lot of things that you can still remember and feel from the past, but listen to me today. Jesus was in your past, but he's also in your future. You need to let go of that past, and you need to keep moving forward. You need to change your thinking. That's done. I can't change it. I can't make it feel no better. I can't prevent it from happening. I just need to go forward, forward. Just keep going forward. Because you got to understand something. God will deliver you, you, deliver you when you're going forward. He will move in you when you keep progressing with him. How do you know that, Pastor? Because he's delivered me of sin when I didn't stay in my sin and quit serving him. But when I had my sin and I kept on serving him, he delivered me in the process of serving him. So the enemy wants you to stop serving him and suffer in your sin. And Jesus said, you just keep moving, buddy. I'll pull it off of you. I'll get you out of it. Just keep moving. Your healing is moving forward. 
Your deliverance is forward. The Lord can do so much more with people who are ready than with people who are distracted. We get distracted by all kinds of stuff. We get distracted with our business. We get distracted with making money in the name of the kingdom. We get distracted by things. We get distracted by politics. We get distracted by all this stuff. Man, let that go. That's going to burn with, with, with the earth. It's going to burn like this. It's not even coming to heaven with us, so don't even worry about it. Let's just move forward. Move forward. God gave you that talent and, and that ability to bless the kingdom, but to also live a healthy life, not to be distracted and pulled away from him by it. He didn't give it to you to become an idol. He gave it to you to bless you and to bless the kingdom. All right. So <laughs> Paul comes into Berea with a dump truck, not a tow truck. You got to see this today. I hope, the, I hope I built a mental picture in your mind. Paul pulls up into Berea with a tandem axle dump truck. Wow, Mack truck. I see it a Mack truck. Wow, wow. And he pulls into Berea and he backs up. Beep, 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 beep. He hits the PTO and the bed lifts up and he dumps the gospel in. And the Bible says that many were saved. And not just a few Greeks, but a whole bunch of Greeks got saved. So when people are ready, God sends the dump truck. If you just get yourself ready, the dump truck's coming. Not the tow truck. The dump truck. Here's two questions for you. Are you ready to receive from the dump truck? Or are you waiting to be pulled out by the tow truck? Which one is God going to have to send into your life to get you moving? Ready or not, here he comes. Ready or not, here he comes. When God wants to move, God's going to move. If you're ready, you're going to move with him. If you're not ready, <laughs> he's going to have to send a tow truck. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing to be pulled out the ditch. Come on, somebody ever got pulled out the ditch? It's kind of embarrassing. But that's okay. He'll pull you out and keep you going. But honestly, some of us are just sitting around waiting for somebody to do something to get us out of this ditch. Get me out of my crisis. Get me out of my life. Get me out of my decisions. Get me out of all these things. Go to Jesus. Just go to Jesus. Don't wait around for people. Just go to Jesus. So because of their nobleness and their readiness, God does a quick work in these people. It says many believed, and not just a few Greeks believed. And all that happened in five verses. What? Five verses. Many get saved in five verses. That's Berea. Look at me. Berea's the bomb. Can I just say that? I just showed my age. Berea, <laughs> that's the 90s. Come on, somebody. Any 90s people in this room? <laughs> it didn't sound like many. <laughs> just saying. I left a brother hanging, if so. It took five verses 
which makes me go, wow. You see, when there's no drama and there's no stuff and no junk, well, God can move. Kind of reminds me of what my friend Mary Elizabeth Baxter said, that when the Holy Ghost is not resisted, he can work quickly. You know, God's been accused of being slow for a long time. The bald-headed preacher said, God's not slow. He's just waiting on you. Stop resisting. He can move quickly. God's not slow. He created everything that we know in, seven, in six days and rested on the seventh day. Sit back in the lawn chair and said, boom, look what I did in six days. Get you some of that. Now, what about Athens? This one's not five verses. It's much longer, approximately four or five times longer. Verse 16 of chapter 17. So Paul, the troublemakers, come to Berea, and Paul has to leave, but many were saved. The dump truck dumped, and many got saved, and Paul moves on to Athens, and he left Timothy and the boys back in Berea. And listen to verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, Timothy and them, in Athens, watch what it says. He was deeply troubled. Not just regular troubled. Like deeply troubled. By all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. Who are we supposed to preach to? All who happens to be there. You caught that? Verse 18, he also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. Verse 21 gives us an explanation. It says it should be explained that all the Athenians also, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, standing before the council, addresses them as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to the unknown or to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one that I'm telling you about. Can you say crafty? I mean, Paul's slick. He's sitting with philosophers and thinkers of the day. People that had all these ideas and these strange ways of thinking about things. They didn't believe in resur the resurrected body. They didn't believe in those things. They believed everything that was flesh and natural was evil. And Paul's sitting with them, and he takes one of their own shrines and says to them, you know that shrine you got called the unknown God? That's the dude I'm talking about. Slick. Just slick. You think he did that out of his natural ability? He did that by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Paul will tell you that all throughout the scriptures. The first thing Paul sees when he walks into Athens is idols everywhere, shrines everywhere, things that they're worshiping, things that they're giving all their time and effort and energy and affections to. They're giving their passion away to these things. 
everywhere in the city. He was deeply troubled. He was deeply troubled because the people were so easily deceived. Are you easily deceived? They were having fellowship with the powers of darkness, and they didn't even realize it. Paul explains a little bit more in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at what he says. Verse 20, he says, no, not at all. I'm saying, I, I am saying that these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. And I don't want you to participate with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. What? Do we dare rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think you're stronger than he is? You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. Paul drops the bomb right here. I don't want you to participate with demons. Some of you get freaked out by demons. Why are you freaked out? The Bible talks about them all the time. You've got authority over them. They're just a poodle with a big mouth. That's all they are. You stomp your foot, they run. But God surely doesn't want us participating with them. He says, you can't drink from my cup and from the cup of demons too. We're too easily deceived. Well, sure got quiet up in this church. You can't eat at the table of the Lord and at the table of the demons. That's the people in Revelations that he vomits out of their mouth. They want a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of the world. They want a little bit of Jesus and they want a little bit of fun. They want a little bit of Jesus and they don't want a little bit of this to make them feel good. And those are the people that he throws out of his mouth. He said, I would rather you want just demons or just me. But if you're going to bounce between the two, you're making me sick. Now, you might be thinking that Paul's talking about things that are clearly evil, like Halloween. <gasps> yeah, Halloween. Devil worship. The church of Satan. Vampires, witches. You might be thinking that's what he's talking about. He is, but that's not all he's talking about. Because the enemy of your soul is crafty. He will take a good thing and turn it into a demonic thing. And you'll participate in it and never know it. It's not just the things that come with a, a, a horns and a pitchfork and it's red. It's not just those things. Sometimes, and in fact, I'll tell you most of the times, it's the subtle things that we participate with the enemy with and we're clueless. Just clueless. And we wonder why sickness comes into our house. We wonder why troubles come into our house. Because you open the door to the enemy to torment you. Oh. <laughs> it's 
got to say it. I mean, it's like, <laughs> just, I feel some resistance. Maybe we need to realize today that the enemy uses good things to gain influence in your life. Let me give you a couple examples of some of those good things that he'll use to gain influence in your life. Work, exercise, hobbies, relationships, religion, pleasures, comfort. They're not all evil, but he will use those things in a subtle way to get influence into your life. And you're participating the whole time and you don't even know it. I can't tell you over the last several months that I've sat down to counsel with people, my wife and I, and and the Lord's given me this question to ask. When's the last time you prayed in the spirit? It's been a long time. I mean, it's been a a bunch of different people that this has happened. It's been a long time. The Lord says, they're being tormented. Set them free. Deliverance, 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 just like that. Never broke a sweat. Deliverance. How did they get there? They walked into it cluelessly. Oh, well, this is good. This is not necessarily evil. This is not bad. I can do this. The Bible says I can do this. I can do this. I can do that. I can go there. I can be with these people. I can do these things. I can participate in this. I can go over here and do that. I can do this. I can open the door to this. I can watch this. I can listen to this. I can do all these things. It's not. I can do anything I want to. Right? You can. Every one of us can absolutely do anything we want to. Doesn't mean it's good for you. Doesn't mean it's beneficial. So they, the Athens believed, the people in Athens believed that everything natural was evil, so it didn't matter what you did with your body. Because when you died, your body was going to burn and your spirit would live on forever. They had some off thinking. So when Paul came in with the message of the resurrection, it really piqued their interest because they didn't believe in a resurrected body. They believed that you could do whatever you want with your flesh and it doesn't matter as long as your spirit was good, you're good. Can you see where that kind of thinking will get you into trouble? You know what comes from that kind of thinking? Pride. Pride comes from that kind of thinking. Pride starts to say some things like this. Maybe you catch yourself thinking this sometimes. I control my life. I'm my own God. I decide what happens to me. You might want to write this down. Pride is the foundation of all that is demonic. Satan was kicked out because he thought he was better than God. Pride is the foundation of all that is demonic. Pride always says, I don't need God. Pride always says, I got this. I'll call you if I need you. One thing that it says very often is I don't need God in this. Have you ever thought that before? Don't raise your hands. Have you ever had those thoughts before? Can I tell you something? When you start thinking that way, you're already in trouble. Well, did you pray about that? Did you ask God about that? Did you, is that where the Holy Spirit's leading you to go and do and all these other things? No, I just feel like I need to do it. 
and get yourself underneath a nice preacher who won't tell you the truth. And they'll be like, okay. Let you walk smooth into the ditch. Get stuck. And then I have to complain the whole time when you got to bring a tow truck to get you out. Because he wasn't bold enough to look at you and say, I don't think that's, I don't think that's right because I don't think you heard from God because you can't tell me that this is what God told you to go do next. You're either submitted to him or you're not. I mean, that's just the bone facts of it all. I mean, the Bible tells us that in, in his heart a man plans his course, right? That's, 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 it's in the Bible. Man plans his course. In his heart, a man can plan his course. The Lord will let you plan your course, but he's the one who determines your steps. There's two parts to that verse. In his heart, a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Are you getting this this morning? I'm at the place now where I'm like, Lord, I don't want to plan nothing. Like, you just tell me where to go. Like, just, can I just be real with y'all? I'm like, just, you just tell me. Like, I don't want to plan nothing. Because every time I plan something, you tell me to step in another direction. I get all fashed, and then we have this issue between us, and I got to repent, and I end up crying and all these other things. Why don't you just tell me what to do? You ever feel that way? <laughs> like, Lord, just tell me what to do. Are you in trouble already? Have you been living with that kind of a mindset that says, I don't need God in this. I don't need God to tell me this. I don't need God to do this for me. I don't need, I got this. I got this. I'll call you if I need you. You see, the Bereans were forward thinking, open-minded towards God. So a quick work was done in them. The Athenians were closed-minded impressed with the wrong things and had a bad foundation. They were impressed with the wrong thing. They were just looking for the latest ideas. They just wanted to be somebody who came up with the next best ideas. You know how many church folks walk around trying to be theologians coming up with the next best thing for God to impress somebody? And he's going, I don't want to need you to do all that. I wrote my word. People, I'll give them revelation of my word. I need you to go tell people about me. I didn't call you to be a theologian. I called you to be a witness. They were impressed with the wrong things. They were full of pride because of their knowledge. They were puffed up. So watch what happens at the end of, <laughs> at the end of Athens. <laughs> Verse 32 to 34 says, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. <laughs> Verse 33, watch this. That ended Paul's discussion with them. <laughs> like he was done. Why? Because he was resisted. He got laughed off the stage. He got dismissed. They closed their heart. They closed their mind. They didn't want to believe in the resurrection. They didn't want to believe that Jesus came out of a grave. They didn't want to believe that that was possible because it would change everything that they ever believed. And so what did they do? Instead of opening their heart to Jesus, they closed it to Jesus. And verse 33 says, Paul's discussion with them was done. I can see God going...
Maybe I'll catch them another time. Maybe it'll be the next generation. Verse 34, but some. Doesn't that sound depressing? But some. We rejoice in the ones that did, but, but, but some. 20-something verses and he gets some. Five verses with people that are ready and he gets many. <laughs> I found it interesting that they laughed at Paul. And the Lord told me to remind you that when people laugh at you, they're not laughing at you, they're laughing at him, so don't get offended by it. Laugh back. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. You see, what's, what's sad is that they were so caught up in their own thinking that they totally missed the opportunity to gain life. They totally missed the opportunity to live forever. They missed the chance to real life. So five things to practically tell you how to be a Berean. Look at your neighbor and say, you want to be a Berean? <laughs> that, sounded, that sounded really bad. Do you, do you want to be a Berean? What about you? You want to be a Berean? Did I offend you or something? I just showed you how to live. I just showed you how to get ready through God's word, how to get ready and that God can move in a minute if you're ready. And I showed you the difference that if you're not ready, here's the question that's just popping up. Are you more in love with what the world has to offer than what Jesus has to offer? Are you so consumed and tied into what the world says about you that you can't even hear what God's saying about you today? Are you a Berean or are you an Athenian? Which one are you? Are you closed-minded? Are you shut off to anything that God wants to do in your life? Or are you open-minded and ready for him to move in any situation and in any way that he wants to? Where are you at? Where are you at? What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Jesus died to give us life. Do you want life or not? That's the cry. That's the answer we have to, that's the question we have to answer. Do you want life or not? Do you want to really live? So how to be a Berean? Let's try this one more time. Look at your neighbor and say, you want to be a Berean? Y'all got a little bit better. That's good. All right. Here's, Here's five things real quick. Number one, confess and repent for being complacent, distracted, and prideful. Just soon say it straight. First thing you need to do is confess and repent for being complacent, distracted, and prideful. You need to confess and repent. Repent means to turn away from that. It means to change your mind about those things and think differently, which causes you to walk differently. Number two, you need to invite the Holy Spirit into your life to feel you fresh and new. 
You've heard me say this before. We need to constantly be filled fresh and new. Why? Because we leak. <laughs> we leak. The world beats the hell out of us. We leak. You need to be filled fresh and new constantly. Number three, surrender your life back to Jesus and ask him to have his way with you. It's one of those prayers that some of us don't like to pray. Lord, have your way with me. Lord, you have your way. Number four, start thinking about the end of your life and prepare your legacy. Do you know how many people don't even think about the end of their life? You know how many people don't even think about the next 10, 15, 20 years? Have no clue where they're going to be financially, have no clue where they're going to be uh, spiritually, have no clue where they're going to be physically. They're not doing anything, making any changes. They're just, just, just living life every day is a new day. I'm not thinking about the end of my life. I'm not thinking about my legacy. I'm not thinking about the funeral. The Bible tells us it's better to be at a funeral than a party. Why? Because at a funeral, you're thinking about the end of your life and how it finishes. At a party, you're just thinking about having fun. Start thinking about the end of your life. What do you want your, the people closest to you to say about you? Do you want the people that love you the most to have to lie the most about you at your funeral? I've been to them. It's as fake as can be. Cheeks hurt when you leave because you had to smile and you wanted to cry. Start thinking about the end of your life and prepare your legacy. Number five, respond to whatever the Lord wants to do in your life. Just respond to it. Just respond. How many of you have kids? Raise your hand. How many of you talk to your kids sometimes and they don't respond? Raise your hand. How does that make you feel? Like jab slapping them. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We in church, you got to be honest. I'm going to knock your tooth out. <laughs> you better answer me. I'm going to leave you with two tooths. No response. How often does the Holy Spirit tell us to do something or tell us to, to do this or stop or go here or do that, and we just don't respond? Just like our kids, we act like we didn't hear them. Or like a man when the baby's crying in the middle of the night and he goes, all of a sudden he's deaf. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jamie. I'm guilty of being <laughs> deaf at night when the baby's crying. <laughs> no response. Can we just respond? I mean, if you don't want to do it, tell him no. Just tell him something. No, nah, Lord, I don't want to do that. There's people in the Bible that said that. I don't want to do that. So Berea and Athens, their names have meanings, definitions. Athens means uncertainty. Some of you have been living in the land of uncertainty. You don't know what's coming next. You're scared. You're anxious. 
That anxiety is causing you physical problems. It's killing you and you don't even realize it because you're living in the land of uncertainty. You're so busy with all the things that you want to do that when the gospel comes, you don't even respond and you're uncertain. And then some of you today are like Berea. You're well watered. You're thriving. You're moving. God's using you. You're anointed and you sense that anointing. You go to work with a different purpose now. Not to make a check, but to bring somebody to heaven. You go into the marketplace with a different perspective, not to get a deal. Come on, somebody. But to bring somebody to heaven. You changed. There's something different about you. You have a power that you've never had before. You're well watered. Why? It's all because you readied yourself for God to move in your life. One of the things that scares me and gives me joy at the same time is that one day I will stand before Jesus and I will give an account for everything that I did, bad or good. The purpose of that judgment is not to get into heaven. That's already sealed. The purpose of that judgment is to be rewarded or not rewarded for what I either did good or bad. It scares me, but it excites me. At the same time, I'm kind of terror-sighted. Anybody know what I'm saying? Are you ready for God to move? Come on, worship team. Are you ready for God to move? Are you making room in your schedule? God told us as a church about six months ago that if you'll make room for me, I'll inhabit this place, and that's what we experience every Sunday. There's a spirit of God inhabiting this place simply because we made room for him. Only because we made room for him. I want you to hear this today. The most powerful and the most important thing you can do today is to make room for God. Ready yourself. There's some things that need to die on a cross today. It may be painful, but it's worth it. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you today? Are you like Berea and he's coming with a dump truck? Are you like Athens and he's having to back up a tow truck to pull you out of some stuff? I promise you this. If you'll make room for him, he will inhabit. He's waiting on you to make room for him. I believe he gets really excited when we lay all the things that we're involved in on, the, on, the, on the, the floor in front of him. And we say, Lord, is there anything that I've picked up that I shouldn't be holding right now? Is there an attitude that I have that's dishonoring to you? Is there a fear inside of me that I don't recognize that you want to get rid of? Is there a belief system in my mind from my past, maybe my parents, whatever, that's causing me to wreck my life? I just lay it all out before him. Lord, what is that? When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you laid your life out before Jesus and said, Lord, is there anything here that you don't like?
it's one of the most beautiful things you can do because he's not going to rebuke you. He's not going to beat you across the head. He's going to come to you and he's going to speak to you about those things. And he's going to say, you see that right there? You don't need that. I've got something better for you than that. That is just a low, cheap substitute for what I have for you. And what does that do for you? When you go, okay, Lord, you can have this. What does that do for you? That causes you to get an upgrade. That causes you to get something better. You made room for him to bring something that's life-giving into your life. God, is there an idol that I have? Is my reputation my idol? Is my image my idol? Is what other people say about me, is that my idol? having a conversation with my wife recently several times about raising kids in this season and how difficult it is. I'm just honestly, my heart is broken for you parents that are raising kids right now. It's a scary time. Kids are being forced to believe things that they, they they don't want to believe. They're being forced to accept things that they don't really deep down inside want to accept. And it's being crammed down their throat. And it's sad. How important it is for us today as parents to live under an open heaven. How important it is, is it for us today to live with a connection to God that says he can speak to me at any moment. He can lead me in any moment. He gives me words of life to give my children, to give them life, to to tear down the strongholds the enemy's trying to build in their life. How much more important it is today for us to be ready, to be ready for God to move. We can't sit back and act like it doesn't exist. We can't sit back and act like it's not going on. We're the church of the living God. We're empowered to take dominion over the planet. It's been given to us. We tear down strongholds. We break old mindsets. We set the captives free. Or we don't. Father, we love you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you for Berea. God, how in five verses you revolutionized the city. We thank you in contrast for Athens and showing us how hard-heartedness and pride can wreck our lives and idols and things that are demonic can just cause us to go astray and miss the purposes that you have for us. God, help us to be people like Berea. God, help us to be ready Help us to be noble. Help us to, to, to thrive and to, and to go for greatness, God. But the greatness that you define, not the greatness that the world defines. Your greatness has to get low. Your greatness is a servant. Your greatness is one who washes feet. Help us to be great, God, in a world that's going the total opposite direction. 
For some of us in this room this morning, wake us up, Lord. Wake us up. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for being so gentle, so merciful, and so gracious, so forgiving, so full of long-suffering. God, set us on fire. Anoint us with a holy anointing that we would go and serve your purposes that we would see the things that they are. We would see the things in the spiritual world and we would begin to speak to those things, pushing back the darkness and bringing in the light with dump truck loads of light. Help us, God. For your glory, to make you famous, Jesus. We love you, we praise you, we bless you. Nobody looking around this morning. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. That's where it starts. It starts with surrender. Everything starts with surrender. Maybe that's you. You've never given your life to Jesus. You say, I don't even know what to do. I'll help you today. So if that's you, nobody's looking around. Every head bowed, eyes closed. It's a private moment. We'll go public in a minute. But... It's a private moment. If that's you, you've never given your life to Jesus and you want to make that decision today, just raise your hand real quick. Real quick. Real quick, anybody. Praise God. So, Father, we thank you. I pray over these folks that are getting ready to be baptized. I'm reminded of what what John said, that I baptize you with water, but there's one who's coming after me. He's going to baptize you with fire. So, Lord, we got a tank full of water, but you got the fire. And so, Lord, I'm praying for a double baptism today, a baptism of water and a baptism of fire. So I pray over every person who's getting baptized today. God, they would come out of that water soaking wet. And as they're soaking wet, you'd catch them on fire. So bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give the Lord a big hand clap this morning?